T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We've had some pretty violent weekends in Chicago recently, and it has more people thinking and talking about gun crimes, drug crimes, and crime in general. How our court system deals with people accused of those crimes has a lot of officials and advocates thinking and talking. This week, we're going to talk with the man who ushered in a new order, literally. It's a conversation with Cook County Chief Judge Timothy Evans. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Timothy Evans leads the largest circuit court in Illinois. Cook County courts handle more than a million cases a year, and Judge Evans oversees more than 400 judges. He was first elected chief judge in 2001, and he's been re-elected five times since. Uh, The chief judge has moved the court significantly in reforming how criminal defendants are treated throughout the court system. He issued an an order assigning public and private defense attorneys to represent arrestees while they're being held at police stations. He's made other reforms that we uh, hope to get to as well, but the step he took over a year ago is a major focus now. Judge Evans issued an order designed to change the bail system so that those given cash bonds have bails they can afford. How is that working? Well, we're going to ask. Chief Judge Evans, welcome back. It's been a while. It has been a while, and I'm thrilled to be here again. Well, thank you very much for doing this. And I oversimplified your bail order. Uh, Can you help make sure people understand what we're talking about? These are people accused of crimes, presumably awaiting trial or some other outcome. That's, uh, That's exactly right, and I thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about it because there's great confusion um, on the part of the members of the public about the part of the judicial system that is under discussion here when we talk about pretrial. Think of it this way. Uh, Someone has just been arrested, and uh, that person has not been uh, convicted. That person has not been sentenced. That person is presumed innocent by the law. And uh, the only thing that we can take a look at at that particular point has two prongs. The first prong is while this person's case is pending, will he come back to court when he's supposed to come back to court? And while this case is pending, will he pose a danger while he's out on pretrial? And the presumption is that he has a right to be free during that period of time. There are certain exceptions And we'll probably get a chance to talk about those exceptions before we're finished today. But uh, traditionally, uh, that's what we uh, try to incorporate into this general order that you referenced. It's uh, General Order 18A, uh, 18.8A. And it is an order which says that if someone, a judge, who is taking an opportunity to review the credentials of the defendant, feels that there is something in this particular defendant's background that might lead 
the court to think that maybe he won't come back to court when he's supposed to, or maybe he won't um, stay clear of any um, illegal activity while his case is pending. Uh, Maybe the judge will consider a money bail. And that's the last resort. If that judge feels that they have to use money as a leverage to have the person come back or be clear of some improper activity, then they have to set a money amount that the defendant can pay and be released so that the person will not be the subject of um, incarceration simply because he didn't have enough money. Now, if somebody um, who has been arrested is a clear and present danger to the public, the judge does not use money bail to keep that person in. The judge issues a no bail order. And during the period of time that our um, new order has been in effect, uh, there's been a huge swing towards keeping people in no bail because they pose a clear and present danger. To give you an idea, uh, prior to my order being entered, uh, we had about 267 people uh, in jail based on no bail. But after the order, uh, it was 2,167 people in jail because of no bail. And at the same time, we were able to reduce the jail population from 10,068 down to 5,500 and something. And we did so without posing a danger to the public. We uh, took a look at our statistics. And uh, during about 18 months that we've been looking at these statistics since my order was entered, we find that a very small percentage, less than 1% of the people that we have released during this period of time, 30,000 some odd people we have released during the last 18 months, only 181 engaged in some kind of violent activity. Hmm. Um, the problem that you're trying to solve, besides the fact that it's a simple justice issue, which is people being presumed innocent, um, is that the jail was stocked to the, to the rafters with people with low-level offenses. That's exactly uh, right. And, and a lot of them drug offenses, uh, some, some low-level, uh, uh, and a lot of marijuana. Uh, and that these people had never been successfully prosecuted. They were just in there because they were pre-trial, meaning they hadn't even had a trial, and yet they were required to stay in jail. Um, to what degree is the legalization of recreational marijuana going to make a difference on its own to reduce the jail population and at least solve some of the overcrowding and and justice issues? Well, as you know, uh, the state of Illinois has taken a different point of view with respect to marijuana, and uh, there's been discussions along the lines of even some people who've been convicted of uh, possession of marijuana in the past, uh, that some of those uh, might be expunged uh, and that sort of thing. So I think that... um, Certainly, uh, I expect that there would be far fewer people brought into jail because of uh, their recreational use of marijuana. But uh, I want to say to the public that we still 
want to protect the public. We want to make certain that um, someone who is arrested pretrial uh, will not pose a danger if we release that person. And uh, while we take a look at two sides of it, and I've described one side of it, we don't want the person to be a danger to the public, and we don't want the uh, court system to be um, uh, the subject of somebody just ignoring the court's orders. The other side of it also needs to be discussed. When a person is out on pretrial, Greg, they have an opportunity to continue their job. They have an opportunity to support their family. They have an opportunity to cooperate with the lawyer who is supposed to represent them. None of these things they can do easily if they're incarcerated while their case is pending. And so um, it's fair, it's just, and it is a embrace of the presumption of innocence, but it also uh, protects the public from anything that the public might otherwise be exposed to improperly. Well, I do want to talk about, uh, and you raise some of the common concerns that everyday people have, that somehow dangerous people are going to be uh, let out. A big concern are, are gun charges. Um, I mean, two weekends ago, 52 people were shot and 10 reported killed. If people hear that, hear police complain that several people were arrested on gun charges and many were released on bond, what are they to think about that? Well, I'm glad you gave me an opportunity to comment on that because I think the public is being misled when uh, there was a suggestion that somehow, simply because somebody has been arrested, that they forfeit their right to be free. There's a presumption of innocence. Only the police have accused somebody of doing something. And um, they're not the judge, they're not the jury, and they're not the prosecutor. They only say they believe somebody has committed a crime. That's the first thing. The second thing is we don't uh, release people based upon hunches. We are using a public safety assessment tool, which is a risk assessment tool that is used to examine the risk that somebody will engage in improper conduct while their case is pending. And um, uh, one of the things that um, I can do, if you like, I can go through the nine uh, areas of... Uh, Don't do that, yeah. but, but we know that we know <laughs> yeah, that they the, have There are, are nine factors that go into this risk assessment. And that's what the judge uses uh, to decide whether someone should be released, along with 36 other factors in the state statute, along with whatever the prosecutor has to say about the charge and about the defendant and also what the defense has to say. So the judge considers all of that, not just what the police says. That's the first thing. The second thing is we in this country rely on convictions, not just arrests. And one of the factors that um, I hope the public will listen to in the future, when someone, maybe from the police department or somewhere else, talks about the number of people they arrested, they have to remember these people haven't been convicted of anything yet. That's just somebody's idea. And I know the public knows that we've had many people in the city of Chicago who have been released after being arrested and stayed in jail 20 years, 30 years, just because somebody thought that they had done something wrong. And it turns out they had done nothing wrong at all. 
are there uh, are there judges who are not following the guidelines as well as they should? Uh, you know, we still see some cases where there is high money bail being given, you know, a million dollars bond. But then you're in a situation, I would think, where some people accused of crimes actually can come up with that kind of money. Uh, you know, especially when you're dealing with people who are accused of being involved in the drug trade, some of them can come up with the cash. Absolutely. And that's the that's the fallacy of relying on money bail to keep somebody in jail. As I say, uh, we've uh, uh, taught our judges that if somebody is a clear and present danger, don't use money to keep them in. Uh, declare them to be a higher risk and keep them no bail. Uh, now, uh, some of our judges um, differ with what somebody can afford. Uh, and I'll give you uh, an example um, that was shared with me. We had someone uh, who was um, arrested, and uh, on this particular occasion, that particular person had his employer in the courtroom along with family members. And when the judge asked this particular person, well, what can you uh, afford to pay? Uh, as a banker, he said he couldn't afford to pay anything. So that's an example. The judge knew that he could afford to pay something, but he said he couldn't afford to pay anything. So uh, sometimes there's a disagreement as to what somebody actually can afford. And by the way, the same fellow who said he couldn't afford anything got out within 24 hours. So the judge was right and he was wrong. But, uh, yes, we are changing the system, and uh, it takes some time to turn a boat around in the middle of the Atlantic or the Pacific, if you, if you follow that. Uh, and we are getting there, slowly but surely, and the overwhelming majority of our judges have embraced this new concept. That's the reason why the jail population has been reduced by 42%. They are following this new guideline, this new general order, and... At the same time they do so, uh, we find that there's no increase in the danger based upon these people being released, and these people, nine times out of ten, come to court when they're supposed to. The actual statistic is something like 85% do that. We're going to continue our conversation with Judge Evans in just one minute after this message. Welcome to Sinfron Explains. This week on Cintron Explains, we talk about your social media strategy. The start of your social media should be well before your candidacy is announced. Candidates must look at themselves as a brand and constantly work on building brand recognition. Then, once a decision is made to run, a strategy should be put together that will boost visibility within the relevant groups. I'm Jason Baumann of Cintron Deras Media. To learn more about how we can help you with your campaign, visit wewininillinois.com. As part of our commitment to the community, we would like to share this important message from the American Red Cross. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life, but there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Cook County Chief Judge Timothy Evans. And and we're talking in great degree about the, uh, the bail reform in uh, Cook County 
and Chicago, uh, of course. Uh, I do want to uh, just one more issue because a lot of our news stories are about gun crimes and people hear about it as just gun crimes. There's a great range in gun crimes, isn't there? And and, and does, does the uh, algorithm or the, the assessment that the judges are using take into account where like aggravated use of a weapon is, is, is versus per- possession and things like that. Uh, you put your, your finger on a very important point. Um, yes, you're absolutely right. There are varying degrees of um, uh, activities that might fall under the law uh, where guns are concerned. Uh, to give you an example, uh, you might have a person who, uh, let's say, is an elderly person who has um, had a gun, uh, all of a sudden they forget to apply for and receive the FOID card, and uh, an arrest is made. Uh, That person is not a clear and present danger, and that person is treated differently than a person who is, let's say, uh, an identified felon who has several convictions with gun uh, trafficking, and uh, that person is found with a gun, uh, perhaps getting ready to rob a store or, or do something else improper. Uh, those uh, two kinds of cases are treated differently. One is a clear and present danger. The other one is not. And uh, while the person who does not uh, comply with the law and having a gun, like the person with the without applying for the FOID card, that person is still uh, probably going to be in trouble it's not the kind of person who needs to be incarcerated and locked up while his or her case is pending. A few weeks ago, Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart was sitting in the chair where you are. uh, That was last month. He aired concerns that I am sure you are familiar with. One of his complaints was that too many people charged with serious gun crimes are released to electronic monitoring. Uh, He says, and, and he says electronic monitoring is not secure enough. They may know that a person is at their home if they leave, they don't know where that that person is. Um, how is the now? We're not talking about the bail, no bail here, but how does that factor into what happened? And and, and are there specific instances where those people should or should not be uh, on electronic monitor? Uh, yes, uh, what we are looking at, uh, Craig, is the opportunity for a judge to exercise some compassion when a fellow citizen or resident is arrested. And um, we uh, take a look at what the risks are, uh, the probabilities. Nobody can be sure uh, what a human will do while the human uh, is released after an arrest. But using this tool that you've you've, um, uh, referred to, this algorithmic tool, called the public safety assessment tool, we first see if a person is a clear and present danger. If that person is, that person is uh, given a no bail order and is not released from jail. But if he's not a clear and present danger, that person will be released. But we still must assess what the danger that person might be. It might be no danger at all. but it might be a moderate danger, it might be a low danger, or it might be a higher risk, but not a 
clear and present risk. And uh, the majority of the jurisdictions that are using this kind of analysis use um, the same kind of approach that we're talking about, uh, where a person with a higher risk is placed on electronic monitoring um, and uh, a little lower risk, uh, but risk nevertheless, that person might be um, placed in a position where, uh, yes, you're released, uh, you're what's called home confinement, where the person can uh, wear the electronic monitoring bracelet, but just be tracked from 7 o'clock to 7 o'clock, but can continue to go to work can keep his or her job, can continue to go to school, can continue to cooperate with his or her lawyer. And so, um, uh, for example, the, um, the Pretrial Justice Institute, which is an institute that tracks these kind of trends, would disagree uh, directly with uh, Sheriff Dart about the use of electronic monitoring. And that uh, institute points out that the place which is the model for the country, Washington, D.C., uses electronic monitoring systems the same way we do, where um, uh, we look at whether somebody is a low risk, moderate risk, or higher risk. And if the person is uh, a higher risk, that person does need to be on electronic monitoring. And we disagree with Sheriff Dart. Sheriff Dart has a right to uh, analyze it as he sees fit. I recognize that, but he's out of step with the uh, pretrial uh, justice institute tracking uh, how most jurisdictions use electronic monitoring. And I just want to uh, reestablish something you said earlier. You were saying just one percent of the people who have been, and this, I don't know whether that includes electronic monitoring, but the people who've been let out. Uh, on either low or no bail, have committed crimes while they're out. You're exactly right. It's actually even less than 1%. And we've tracked uh, more than 37,000 cases. And out of that uh, 37,000, we've released 30,000. And out of those 30,000, only 181 people uh, got involved in a violent crime. And that's over an 18-month period. That's 10 per month. So it couldn't possibly be the 40 people who were involved in these uh, shootings that uh, you've been uh, hearing people refer to. Uh, So the statistics they're citing are not statistics that involve people who have been reviewed by our judges and released on pretrial. This is a, a different group of people entirely. Although, and I think, you know, especially as, as, as someone who has uh, been at the city and ward level of government, if people even hear 182 people, that's 182 people who ended up being dangerous to somebody. And is, is, are there any systems that could get any closer to having that? I mean, obviously, the ultimate figure is zero. Right. The only way you could be able to guarantee all the citizens, that no one upon being released would commit a crime is to keep everybody in. And that would violate the Constitution of the United States. It would violate the Constitution of the state of Illinois. That's the only way. And so the only logical way that is 
compliant with the law is to conduct the kind of analysis that our judges conduct uh, using the kind of tool that I'm talking about, this, this public uh, safety assessment tool. And it is a tool that embraces justice, fairness, and it does not impose an unreasonable burden of danger on the public. I do in the uh, minutes that we have left, and only a few of them, uh, talk about some other efforts underway uh, in, in the courts. Uh, for example, you've created some new courts, uh, one uh, that uh, is de- de- dedicated, in fact, a courthouse dedicated to domestic violence. Um, prostitution has its own court. Can you talk a little bit about what that is doing for the process, what that's doing for the people involved? Absolutely. Uh, we uh, uh, recognize the problems posed by uh, domestic violence, and you're absolutely right. Uh, we embraced a solution there, and one of the few places in the country where we have a whole building dedicated to stopping the cycle of violence that was imposed by people who are imposing their will on other people. And uh, you're right with respect to prostitution court. We recognize that if we can get people who've been accused of prostitution away from the pimps, away from the johns, get them into a system where they can receive the kind of treatment uh, against trauma, they've been traumatized, uh, get them um, uh, away from that, they can embrace the concept of fairness themselves and put all of that behind. And we find that these people, once they are clear of those kinds of activities, reach out to others who are engaged in that same conduct and bring them out as well. And you're, you're, you're absolutely right. We've also instituted um, restorative uh, justice court. Uh, for example, in North Lawndale, we started at the first and only in the whole state where healing is the key, not punishment. And uh, we find that that has worked extremely well. Uh, we are expanding restorative justice courts uh, to, the, to the north in Avondale and uh, uh, certain areas of the north side, to the south in Inglewood, and we will be talking uh, more about that in the days ahead. Perhaps you would invite me to come back and elaborate on those uh, those efforts. You are always welcome here. Uh, are are these courts these these are expanding beyond the traditional judging, uh, you know, judging the uh, perpetrator, alleged perpetrators, um, and working more with the victims. And I, my understanding is sometimes it, restorative justice brings victims and and alleged perpetrators together. That's exactly right. The perpetrator gets a chance to see what the impact of that perpetrator's act has been on the victim. Uh, If, for example, the perpetrator uh, stole somebody's television set to sell it, to buy drugs, the perpetrator uh, in these restorative courts gets a chance to see what that impact has been on having the house invaded and the entertainment source uh, taken away. And we have the... uh, perpetrator buy the victim a new television set and we uh, get the perpetrator the kind of drug rehabilitation services that we need. We've got these problem-solving courts. We've got drug courts. We've got mental health courts. We've got veterans courts. And these courts uh, are not interested in just punishment. We're interested in treating these people like human beings with compassion. We don't want to just prosecute uh, people. We want to get them out of their conduct and move them into becoming contributing citizens. And, and that's what these problem-solving courts do. What kind of signs do you have that this idea, this concept, really works, that you're not getting people 
doing the same things over and over again. Because we can cut into that recidivism rate that is is devastating. We have seen, Craig, that arresting, prosecuting, convicting, and sending people away that have a problem, if no one addresses the problem that they have, for example, if they're drug addicted and nobody addresses that, they come out again, still drug addicted, engaging in the same conduct. But with these problem-solving courts, we prevent them from continuing that activity by, in effect, uh, pulling them out of the drug trade, giving them an opportunity to get that behind them, and then they come back as contributing citizens rather than people who are inclined to be recidivists. Well, County Chief Judge Tim Evans, thank you very much. Thanks for spending this time with us. Uh, to our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That's WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.